This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should ask yourself, what's my guiding question? And we'll talk to best-selling author Dan Heath about his new book, Upstream, The Quest to Solve Problems Before They Happen, which will make us happier. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, my sister of the sage. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and Gretch, um, I have to report I'm drinking out of my obliger mug this morning, so <laughs> I'm branded. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, now, Gretch, before we dive in, we want to share an email from Kate about bedtime. So you remember in episode 256, I gave myself a demerit because I was having a hard time getting Jack to go to bed. I wasn't being um, consistent with his bedtime. So she wrote in with a helpful suggestion. She says, bedtime is so hard. We've recently shifted from having a bedtime 8 p.m. to having a head-to-bedtime 7.15 p.m. This shift in thinking has really helped us get the sleep we need. I hope this bedtime hack is useful for you. So I think that's a good idea because it sort of takes the pressure off that that cutoff time. Well, also, I think when you think of bedtime at eight, it doesn't prompt you to sort of do all the things getting there because what you really need is the, is it's such a long process with kids. Like there's so much yeah. reminding and prodding and there's this yes. stage and that stage and this stage and that stage. It's really yeah. like not realistic to just think about the bedtime. You know, this also reminded me of way back someone said, because for people who are really anxious about being on time, like you and I are, Mm. he was saying that if you say like, I'm going to show up between 7 and 7.15, that gave you wiggle room to feel like you were still on time by opening up the expectation. And and so I think if you're like, oh, 
we have to be lights out at 8 p.m., that's kind of stressful. But head to bed at 7.15, it feels more open-ended and therefore maybe it just it's a more flexible goal. And so it's um, it feels more realistic and less stressful. Yes. So we will try that. Thank you, Kate. Great suggestion. And I like head to bed rhymes. That's I always like a rhyming mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, we talked to Adrienne Brodeur for our Happier Podcast Book Club about her book, Wild Game. And a listener asked a question that came in too late for us to ask Adrian, but it was such a great question, was asking for Margot's reading list. So Margot was Adrian's uh, stepmother who was so instrumental in helping Adrian become a writer and a reader by giving her all these books. And so the listener's like, well, what were all the books? So I emailed Adrian. Adrian said, I don't have a complete list of all the books that Margot ever gave me. I knew her for 25 years, but I do recall that the first batch included Dalva by Jim Harrison, The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver, and Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. And with that, I was hooked. So those are all great, prominent, beloved books. And I will put a link in the show notes if you want to go back and see the ones that from that very first batch, which Adrian's never forgotten. So that's pretty interesting. That's so fun. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, I've only read Their Eyes Were Watching God out of those three, so... So there you go. Put these other two on my list. Excellent. Now, this week, our Try This at Home tip, actually, Elizabeth, was inspired by a Happier in Hollywood episode. Your episode 139 was where you and Sarah were asking yourself, what's your question for 2020? And I thought that was so interesting. You each had such interesting questions. Yeah, well, Gretchen, you know, on Happier in Hollywood, Sarah and I talk about being TV writers, but trying to be sane um, <laughs> in Hollywood and at, at work in general. It's, you can you know, be one about, or the other, but both is what's yeah, hard. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you and I always pick a word of the year, but Sarah realized she really needed a question of the year. Um, and that, of course, then I said, well, then I need a question of the year. And it led to this whole discussion, and it's it's just been so fun to hear people's questions. So Sarah's question was, does this nourish me? Mm. That was her. And that, of course, can be, does it actually nourish me or does it nourish me emotionally, yes. psychologically, right. mentally? And then my question, um, and it really came off of the fact that my word for the year is lighter because I want to be both physically lighter and, you know, um, mentally, emotionally, psychically lighter. So my question is, am I making this situation lighter? Ah. Because a lot of times I can bring a dark cloud with me um, (laughs) to a situation that might be getting stressful. Well, I remember, I mean, I don't want to laugh because it was very traumatic for you at the time, but it was like, you were driving back to school and there was like a school play and it was late and they shut down the thing and you were like saying you were just like completely losing it and driving and, oh. you, know, you know, and you were like, I'm not helping. <laughs> no, I was like losing my mind. Yeah, I feel, yes, I feel like my heart perfect. starts to race just thinking about you telling me the story of what happened. No, it, I called my friend Amanda. I'm like, I can't get there. I can't get there. I'm never getting there. I'm never getting there. She's like, it's Okay. But he had a play that day. Yeah. That was, oh my gosh. Right, right. The but, ladybug play. Right. Well, I remember once um, that Jamie, uh, I sort of went into hysterics because we, it was when our craft family reunion, we were in a family reunion. We were at really oh. high altitude in, in Colorado. And Eliza, when she was a baby, got like this crazy diaper rash, like nothing I'd ever I seen before. It. And I, I just was losing my mind. And Jamie was like, you're not helping. 
And I yeah. immediately calm me down because it's like yeah. I wasn't helping. So am I making this situation like that's a great question. Yeah. And uh, so in many times, if I, you know, just socially, am I, you know, just yes. whatever it is. Sure. Like, am I breaking the tension? Well, I love this so much listening to the two of you talk about that. Again, that was episode 139 that I thought, well, let's, let's, and we love this kind of thing, just kind of these creative, unexpected ways to get in touch with our values. It's hard sometimes to kind of like sit down and be like, you know, what are my values? What do I want from life anyway? Um, these kinds of questions help to identify what we do want and think mm -hmm. about transcendent values in a kind of creative, manageable way. So so we thought, like, let's ask our, ourselves, what's my guiding question? So you had, what's your question for 2020? This is like, what's a guiding question? A little bit more global. And of course, we wanted to have a professional one and a personal one. Yeah, because it's, because as I, at least as I was thinking about it, I was realizing they were a little bit different. They crossed over a lot, but there was a difference between what I was seeking professionally and what I was seeking personally. So what is your personal guiding question this year? Well, you know, my, the project that I'm working on next is all about the body and the senses. And so I've been thinking a lot about hearing and also listening, like the difference between mm. hearing and listening. And so, and I've been reading a lot about how to listen and what it means to really take in what someone's trying to tell you. So my personal question is, Am I really listening? And so when someone's talking to me, especially if it's kind of stressful or they're talking about complicated feelings, I'm trying to think like, am I really listening? Am I, or am I trying to think of what I'm going to say next? Or am I letting my mind wander? Or am I getting caught up in my own response? Am I really listening? So that's my personal one. That's great. That that should be universal. We should all have that. Well, I think question. I'm really trying to distill down like some some guidelines because it's hard. It's kind of I want to yes. We'll have to revisit this. Yes, yes. As I learn more, um, and my professional one is kind of related to that, which is how can I tap more deeply into my body and my senses? And this is more practical. Like I'm actually looking for exercises and ideas. So, listeners, if you have any ideas for like fun things to do or or interesting creative ways to kind of tap into your body and your senses. Because I'm always thinking, I always need to have a, like a concrete way. Like it helps me to look for color. Because if I'm like, I should just be more observant. I don't even know what that looks like. But if it's like, I want to pay attention to color, then that I can do. And so I'm really trying to challenge myself to think of, well, what? how can I taste more? How can I listen more? How can I see more? How can I touch more? How can I use my hands? So, And that's because, Gretch, you're writing a book about yes. the senses. Yes, I am. So this is my constant challenge. Um, so I'm thinking about it. That's why it's a professional question, because my profession is writing that book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm taking, <laughs> taking, taking uh, suggestions. And help me answer my question. How about you, Elizabeth? Okay, so I said my personal question is, how can I make this situation lighter? My professional question is, how does this help me step into the future? And that's because, well, one, Sarah and I have a, a motto this year of hike into the future. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, our business is just changing so rapidly. I feel like we really need to look ahead and think about, you know, what's happening in the future, not just where we're where we are now. Um, I mean, TV, what does it even mean to watch exactly. TV? It's like, what do you mean by that? And so, and you know, Sarah and I have other interests. Yes. 
um, that we're pursuing. So we just, we, we want to always be looking at the future, not just, is this a good idea for next week? But what I like about that too, is there's an optimism to it, which is step into the future is kind of an embrace and a kind of a feeling of excitement and possibility. It's not like, how can I defend myself against change? It's like, how can I yes. like get into yes. it and step toward it and embrace it? Well, I realized I also have a combination of personal and professional, which came from my 20 for 20 list. Because mm. on my 20 for 20 list, I have this item that I don't even know what it means, which is reach out with love. And I'm like, how do I reach out with love? So my mm. question is, how can I reach out with love? <laughs> I don't know. That's I'm, your bonus question. It's my bonus question. Yes. Um, um, of course, Scratch, and the hard part of this is just remembering to ask yourself the question <laughs> in the moment. That's I what I find. Right? It's all well and good to say I'm <laughs> making the situation lighter. But, you know, when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to remember. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the key. Well, and you see how people use screensavers or post things about on their on their computer screens or put it on their bathroom mirror. Like, I think that's the thing is maybe I'm going to put this yeah. on my cork board to try to, because you're right. It, you want it to help you focus on what really matters, but if you can't remember it, it doesn't, it doesn't do yeah. any good. <laughs> exactly. So let us know if you do try this at home and how identifying your guiding question works for you. What, what question do you want to guide you this for the foreseeable future? Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to happiercast.com. This is happiercast.com slash 263. Coming up, we have a 20 for 20 happiness hack, but first this break. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. So, Elizabeth, we're working on our 20 for 20 list. It's still so fun to see people send us their list of their 20 for 20. And then sometimes people have twists or, you know, kind of original takes on how they are going to make the 20 for 20 list their own. Yes. And this comes from Andrea. She says, I sat down to do my 20 for 2020 list and became pretty overwhelmed. I'm going through a stressful time both at work and at home, and I thought there's no way I can add 20 things, so I'm taking out 20 Mm. things for 2020. Yes. For example, number one, no, I will not volunteer at the school auction. (laughs) Number two, we will not play more than one sport. Number three, no, I will not come to this family function that brings stress, but I always feel compelled to attend, and so on. After this week's episode, I realized maybe I have a case of obliger rebellion. Maybe my case lasts for the entire year, but as someone in obliger rebellion mode, it feels amazing to (laughs) say no. And as an obliger, I have probably never said no 20 times in one year. My 2020 word is no, and my slogan is maybe in 2021. I won't be saying no to your podcast. It brings me joy every week. Oh, I love it. And then it's amazing, right? I love maybe in 2021. Yes. I mean, this is brilliant. Well, and okay, and so here's what I think. I think it's brilliant on many levels because, again, it's like she's shaped it for her. Instead of saying yes to things, she's saying no to things. That's a great idea. But also, since she's an obliger, what does it mean to be an obliger? It means that you need outer accountability to meet inner expectations. And for many people, and so many obligers have commented on this, doing the list creates a kind of accountability. For many people, just putting it on the list creates a sense of accountability. The fact that all these pe- all these listeners, you and I, all these people are doing them together kind of creates this idea of like, I do feel accountable to the list. And if it's on my list, I sort of feel like, well, now I need, I, look, I put it on my list. I'm not going to volunteer at the school auction. Now I can't say yes. I already said I was going to say no. And so it creates this accountability that is what she needs. And if she's an obliger rebellion, it's great that she has this kind of mindful, deliberate way of channeling Obliger Rebellion so it really gives her the life that she wants instead of having Obliger Rebellion just kind of explode out of nowhere where, where sometimes it can get messy. This is a yeah. very this is a very mindful, purposeful way to do that. So, Andrea, we are holding you accountable. We do not <laughs> want to hear that you are at that school auction. <laughs> Um, cleaning up items or making lists. You're not allowed to do that this year. Maybe in 2021. (laughs) Maybe in 2021. Andrea, and email us at the end of the year and let us know how it goes because we will do do an update on how you did with your 20 for 20 list. I love it. (laughs) And now it's time for an interview with Dan Heath. Now, I have known Dan from a distance for a very long time. I don't think we've ever actually met in person, but we have the same literary agent, which is a bit like being from the same hometown. And Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of his work. With his brother, Chip Heath, he's written best-selling books like The Power of Moments, Decisive, 
and switch how to change when change is hard which Gretchen, i know you looked at for your book yeah. about habit change uh, better than before yeah. yeah and he's also written a delightful book called made to stick why some ideas survive and others die oh i, lo- I love all those books and when he's not writing books dan heath is a senior fellow at duke university's case center which supports entrepreneurs who are fighting for social good now he has a new book that's absolutely fascinating and extremely relevant to how to make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. It's called Upstream, the quest to solve problems before they happen. <laughs> Welcome, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep. Thank you for calling in from Durham. Very exciting. We've got all parts of the country here coming together yes. with the magic of technology. Thank you. <laughs> now, Dan, your book is such a huge idea, this idea of solving problems before they happen. Happen. Can you sort of just lay out for our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, what's this all about? Yeah, let me start with the parable that I came across that inspired uh, the name of the book Upstream. So this is a public health parable uh, often attributed to a guy named Irving Zola. It goes like this. You and a friend are having a picnic beside a river. And so you drape out your picnic blanket. And just as you're about to sit down and eat, you hear a cry from the river behind you. And you look back and There's a child struggling in the river, apparently drowning. So you and your friend instinctively jump in. You fish out the kid. You bring him to shore. And just as your adrenaline is starting to subside a little bit, you hear another cry. It's another child in the river. So you jump back in the river. You grab them. You come to the shore. No sooner have you fished them out than two more kids are behind you struggling, drowning. And so you begin this kind of revolving door of rescue. And it's starting to get exhausting, but, but the flow never ends. And then you notice your friend swimming to shore and stepping out, you know, as if to leave you alone. And you say, hey, where are you going? I can't do this alone. All these kids need our help. And your friend says, I'm going upstream to tackle the guy who's throwing all these kids in the river. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And to me, that's kind of the perfect symbol of what this book is about. This book is about the fact that in so many parts of life, you know, ranging from national politics to our personal lives, we get trapped in this cycle where we're always reacting, we're firefighting, we're dealing with emergencies, but we never push our way upstream to deal systematically with the things that are causing these problems. And that's why I wrote the book. Well, it's interesting because you write about how you pick that that metaphor of upstream rather than preventive or proactive. And I think upstream really does communicate it visually and makes it so much clearer than a word like preventive, which just sounds like somebody brushing their teeth you know, with fluoride or something like that. It doesn't really conjure up like this idea of like, let's go to where the source of the problem is rather than fixing them off as they are drifting down the bank. Well, I also like the way this upstream metaphor, it it pushes us to think in terms of kind of a never-ending timeline. So if Mm -hmm. you think about how can you prevent crime? Well, you can prevent a crime from happening minutes before if there's an alarm that goes off just before the burglary or if if, uh, the police happen to be driving by. You can prevent a crime months before if you have some kind of program, for instance, that that helps people who have been incarcerated rehabilitate themselves. And so maybe they don't Mm reoffend. There's even some researchers who say you can uh, prevent crime decades before by helping at risk mothers with some of the the factors that seem to predispose 
children toward aggressive behavior. So, so one researcher, Richard Tremblay, says the best time to help prevent aggressive tendencies is when the future, quote unquote, aggressive child is still in the womb. And so I love the way that that kind of stretches your brain and, and expands our sense of possibility that, that we don't always have to live with these problems, that there are ways of getting ahead of them. And what is it, Dan, about our human nature, do you think, that makes us prone to react to problems rather than prevent them, like you're saying, in the womb? I, I think one of the, the the toughest factors that we're up against is something called tunneling. So there's this great study by a researcher named Anita Tucker. And she, as part of her dissertation for Harvard, she followed around a bunch of nurses for oh. hundreds of hours. Oh, I love this them. study in your book. I'm so glad that you're going to talk about this because this, I thought, was so fascinating. This, this yeah, part this is it. one of my favorite research studies in the book. So, so Tucker is shadowing these nurses and she describes what their life is like. And it's like constant problem solving. You know, they, mm-hmm. they run out of towels, so they have to go chase down some towels from another department or uh, in this one case, she was following a nurse named Abby, and Abby was trying to check out a woman who just had birth, and so she was ready to go home with her baby. And as part of the checkout process, they have to take the security anklet off the baby's uh, ankle, but they couldn't find it. It was gone. And so they do this frantic search, and turns out the anklet is in the bassinet. Problem solved, mm. mother is checked out successfully. So That is not a good solved. problem to have in your hospital. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make you feel comfortable. <laughs> Well, then three hours later, exact same thing happens to a different mother. Then once again, the ankle is missing, so they do another frantic search. This time, they can't find it, so they have to do a a whole other protocol to check the woman out and make sure she's the right mom and all that. So in Anita Tucker's telling, nurses are great at improvisation Mm. and resourceful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're constantly working around problems, and, and they pride themselves on that. You know, they don't have to go running to the boss every time something happens. That's not the way a nurse behaves. And when I tell it like that, it seems like a pretty inspiring story. Like, we, we really admire that kind of character. But when you look at it from another perspective, you realize something shocking, which is what I'm describing here is a system that never learns, mm-hmm. a system that never improves. Because mm-hmm. when you constantly work around problems, what you're ensuring is that you are going to face those problems again the mm-hmm. next week, the next month, the next year. And so it's this trap. And, and so back to the, I started with the word tunneling, which is something that comes from a book called Scarcity. It's a wonderful uh, book on psychology. And tunneling says that, you know, imagine the metaphor of being in a tunnel it's like when we have a scarcity of, of resources or a scarcity of time, we kind of give up trying to solve all of our problems. And instead, we're forced into this mode where if a problem pops up, we just want to get it behind us as quickly as possible. We work around, try to get to the next thing. And, and that's back to this, this trap of, of reacting, reacting, reacting. The nurses were tunneling. You know, they were so busy. There were so many demands on them. All they could do was just try to get a problem behind them. But they were never able to step out of the tunnel and engage in the sort of systemic thinking that might ensure them that next week will be easier than this week. Well, one of the things that I, I struck me as doing the book is like some companies, some organizations are good about sort of recognizing we need to use data to understand how this is going and to reward people who identify and can solve problems. Or we need somebody whose role it is to look for this kind of problem because it's really a lot of times the person who's sort of on the ground 
is not really well positioned to identify or address a problem that's very obvious from a higher perspective. But when you're just managing the day-to-day, it's very difficult. And so I think part of the problem is how do you create a reward system or recognition system for the for for identifying the upstream problem rather than the person who's saving the child. Saving the child looks heroic. <laughs> Leaving the exactly. bank and running up, running up and stopping the kid from ever doing it. Well, maybe you're never even going to recognize that that person has made this invaluable contribution because once the problem's gone, nobody it's the dog that doesn't bark. Exactly right. And in fact, this is one of the themes that stuck with, with me the most from this research is it, it really goes to our idea of what's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> and when we think of heroes, we think of, of firefighters and early responders and cops and lifeguards and people who save the day. But, you know, after I write this book, I'm starting to think, what about all those people who kept the day from needing to be saved? You know, shouldn't they be heroes too? The person and, who, who put in the sprinkler system or the city inspector who said, you guys don't get your certificate until this gets fixed. Exactly right. You know, I, I, I researched the, the YMCA has done a tremendous amount to reduce drowning deaths in their pools. And so it's like when a lifeguard fishes out a child who's drowning in the pool, I mean, they're an instant hero. But all these people behind the scenes who have done these very subtle things like move a lifeguard's chair closer to the pool to ensure that there are no blind spots and, mm. and teach lifeguards, you know, scanning techniques where you're mm. supposed to scan the pool every 10 seconds. Nobody's ever going to know their names. They're not going to get any glory. And, and, you know, what's even more interesting is they'll never know that they succeeded because how do you prove right. that something did not happen? Right. It's kind of this fascinating there- world of problems uh, prevented and how do we even know that they were prevented? Right. And I'm curious, Dan, is there something just like in our own lives we should be doing to monitor our lives for these times when we can go upstream rather than being reactive? I think I would be inclined to to, to push your listeners to look for something that's like a recurrent irritant in their life. Um, I talked to this woman who said she was kind of ashamed by this behavior she had whenever she was parking her car in like a mall parking lot or the grocery store or something like that. She found herself like, you know, chasing around looking for the perfect spot and getting aggressive with other drivers and kind of sharking around for the best spot and driving herself crazy. And then she realized, hey, I've got a step counter on my wrist. Like I'm supposed to be a person who's looking for extra steps to get in during the day. And here I am like wasting 10 minutes to find a a space that's 20 yards closer. And so she made this declaration to herself that, that from that moment forward, she was always going to park in the farthest spot away from the door, just by design, that was going to be her place. And she called it a VIP parking spot, Uh you know, (laughs) because when you park that far away, like nobody's going to bang their door into your Honda Civic or whatever. And, And so now, like she just goes there, she takes a couple of extra steps to the door and And she said, what's most remarkable is just this feeling of agency Mm -hmm. that I get from knowing, like, I will never have that frustration again. Mm. And and I love that idea. Like, how many little irritants in our life have we just adapted to instead of realizing we can fix them? Well, here's a a very silly example from my life because I work at home a lot. Um, Something changed with my husband's bedside alarm clock where now it goes off every noon. And day after day, if I'm home, I hear it and it's annoying. So I just go turn it off. And reading your book, I was like, or I could take two minutes and figure out how to turn the alarm off so I don't have to do this every single day that I'm home. And it literally, I was like, I think that's probably the better choice. (laughs) 
that is, I mean, that's like a quintessential example. I remember I took a survey of people one time and one of the funniest ones to me was this woman said she worked in an office and um, she had just recently been moved to a spot that was near a door by the stairs. And you know, those doors are often heavier yeah. and, and this door had a bad squeak. And she said, after about a week of listening to that squeak, she just got some WD-40. She brought it from home and mm, like you know, uh, lubricated the hinges and the squeak went away. And she said her colleagues treated her like she was a miracle worker. Like she- <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a perfect example. <laughs> and I think this happens so often in, in, in not just at the individual level, but, but at the societal level. Sure. Like how many problems are we enduring? Are we tolerating just because we've forgotten that we can fix them? And, and in the course of writing the book, I'm discovering things that would blow your mind. Like there, there's another country that has basically eliminated the problem of teenage alcohol and drug use. I mean, if ever there was an impossible mission, surely wow. it was that. Uh, this is Iceland I'm talking about. And over about a 20-year period, they have intentionally changed the teenage culture. I mean, to some of the worst abuse rates among European Union countries to the best, to the point where... The number of people drinking and, and using drugs is in like the low single digits. I mean, it, it is a story that will blow your mind. And it's just about a bunch of people who said, hey, this problem that we thought was inevitable, that we thought was mm. natural, like teenagers are always going to behave this way. If we just reorganize ourselves, maybe we can do something about it. Dan, we always like to ask people, out of your research and everything you've thought about, do you have a try this at home tip that you would suggest that people could try at home in their part of their ordinary life that would help them to be happier and more productive? I do. And it's inspired by a woman I met named uh, Jeannie Forrest, who's an administrator at Yale Law School. And she told me this great story that has stuck with me about, it was actually a personnel dispute that she was dealing with. So she had a couple of direct reports. One of them, these are disguised names for obvious reasons. Uh, we'll call Barbara the boss and Dawn was the direct report. And so the two of them had been spatting. And in fact, Dawn had filed a complaint against Barbara, accusing her of undermining her and belittling her. And so Jeannie Forrest brought the two women together in her office. And she surprised them by saying, you know what? this whole thing is my fault because I'd heard rumors that you two weren't getting along and I detected some stuff and I just buried my head in the sand. I thought mm-hmm. maybe it would go away. So this is my fault. And then she mm-hmm. said, I would like the two of you to tell this story of your relationship problems as if you were the only one in the world responsible. And at first they had a bit of trouble honoring the spirit of this request. So the the, the boss said, well, Don, every time I try to give you instructions, you shut me down. You ask a bunch of questions that are unnecessary. And, and Jeannie Forrest said, well, Barbara, actually, that sounded kind of like you blaming Don. You want to you try that again? <laughs> and she said, well, you know, when she asked all these questions, I interpreted them as mean-spirited. And I thought she should just take what I said and not question me. But I could have done a better job explaining what I wanted. That was on me. And then Don, the direct report, said, well... I accepted all of her huffing and puffing and irritability, and I didn't address it. I just kind of took it. I should have said, look, you're huffing at me, but I really don't understand what you want. Just slow down and help mm. me understand it better. That's on me. And they left the meeting with a quiet, the kind of a quiet detente. And uh, about six weeks later, the story came to mind. And so I just emailed Jeannie Forrest to see what had happened in the aftermath of that. And she wrote back and she said, 
They are working together cheerfully and productively. Ah. It's a little insane. Ah. Wow. And, and what I love about that story is I feel like it's a kind of metaphor that, that's useful in many parts of life. Because what I see in the story are three people who felt like they were being subjected to a problem. Uh-huh. That, that something was happening to them. And then when Jeannie Forrest does this trick, you know, getting them to, to look at the situation as if they were the only ones responsible, all of a sudden it, it allows them to surface their own agency. Uh-huh. And they start realizing, wait, I, this is not happening to me. Like I'm in it and I have levers of influence that I can use to make it better for me. And I think that's a really, really powerful thing. Like what if all of us told the story of our relationship problems as if we were the only ones responsible or what if school districts told the story of high school dropouts as if they were the only ones responsible mm. or what if employers you know took ownership over the employees health as if they were the only ones responsible and and obviously they're not the only ones responsible mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of the point of this thought experiment is to say you know upstream action tends to happen when a group of people come together and say, you know, we weren't the ones who caused this problem, but we're going to be the Mm. ones to fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan, thanks so much. You've given us so much to think about. And uh, so many, I keep thinking of more and more problems in my life that I should should solve upstream. (laughs) Hey, thanks a million for having me on the show. It's been fun. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a repeat demerit. But first, this break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Gretchen, when I started my career, therapy really helped me work through all of my stresses so that I was able to concentrate at work and do a good job. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gretchen Rubin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gretchen Rubin. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Well, I know with Eleanor, when she was struggling so much with math, if she had been able to do online learning at home, she would have been much better able to keep up with class, and that would have just made the whole situation much easier for her. Don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And half your listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com happier. Visit IXL.com happier to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. 
Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Well, you know, I give myself demerits in this family all the time because it really Mm -hmm. is like my the thing that I'm constantly fussing with, which is just being very irritable and critical and just kind of marching around uh, with a critical eye. I remember you told me about how someone said to Sarah that good parenting advice is ask yourself, am I looking at this situation with a critical eye or a supportive eye? I just feel like I sort of got into a mode where I was really just being very critical. I don't think I was being mm. unreasonable <laughs> in my criticisms. <laughs> um, you know, one never thinks that the criticisms are not worthy um, of being pointed out. But I just wasn't, I wasn't looking for ways to be the support. supportive approach. The supportive approach and the, assuming the best intent, being forgiving, letting things go, just uh, rolling with it, keeping a sense of perspective, keeping a sense of humor. I just have to constantly remind myself to keep a grip on that aspect of my personality, which can, which as I know this comes as a shock to you, Elizabeth, but that can, <laughs> sort of, you, know, you know, I can kind of get into that. So this is just my constant reminder of like, stay on the, stay on the, the other side of that, um, which takes a little effort for me. Well, it's funny because like, it makes me think of like when Adam pitches me an idea, for instance, like a creative idea. I'm always immediately just going into sort of producer mode yeah. of like, well, here's what's wrong with yeah. the idea, rather than just saying, hey, that's a great idea, which is what he would like. Right. So um, yeah. it's a good reminder to us all. Yeah, well, take us uh, up. What's your gold star? All right. Well, speaking of Sarah Gretsch, uh, my writing partner, my gold star is for Sarah because uh, recently on Happier in Hollywood, she um, talked about how she wanted to become an unexpected expert in something yeah. and that something is spinning, not spinning on a bike, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> which is what many people think, spinning yarn. She bought a spinning wheel first and has been taking spinning wheel classes and doing it all the time. She's been having sore wrists now. She's wearing a wrist brace. Oh, my gosh. Um, and she bought a loom. She So she then went even deeper into it and bought a loom, and she has been weaving. And I have to say that I give her a gold star because she's really created space in her life for this when I think she thought, oh, I don't have any space ah. in my life. She's created space in her life, and it's so good for her because being an only mom, it's like a lot on her plate, obviously. Yeah. But this is something that's really just for her. Now, a happy consequence is that Violet, her daughter, has also been spinning, believe really? it or not. Yes, turns out Violet's good at it, too. So it's also even something they can kind of share together. But anyway, it's living in an atmosphere of growth. Yeah. It's saying, hey, I'm just going to dive into something. It has nothing to do with anything except everything, if you know what I mean. And so I just give her a big gold star for taking it on and just committing and just going deep. Well, and it's interesting. This is something that has surprised me over and over again in my life is that sometimes when you're feeling really, really overtaxed and like super busy and you have like no leisure, sometimes adding something else actually makes you feel looser and freer and makes you feel like you have more time and more energy. You always, I think the impulse is always to say, well, I need to get rid of things. And like, I can't work in my vegetable garden because we're so busy. But in fact, it's like, oh, if I start spinning yarn, I'll feel like my life is fuller and richer and Mm -hmm. I actually have more time. It's weird how sometimes more things can make you feel like you have more freedom and more opportunities and more leisure. Whereas getting rid of 
getting rid of more things might make you feel more kind of cramped and crowded and overburdened. It's just, it's paradoxical. Yeah. So um, good job, Sarah and Gretchen. I'm sure you'll post a photo. <laughs> yes, I want. I, dev- I picture her in a bonnet and an apron, but I assume she probably just wears her usual athleisure. <laughs> she does, but it, it, but it does take you back to pioneer days. I'm not going to lie. Look, look, you know, it's, it, it definitely it's, looks anachronistic <laughs> to see someone... Work in the loom. (laughs) In the valley. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Ask yourself, what's my guiding question? Let us know if you tried it and what is your guiding question? Thank you to our terrific guest, Dan Heath. Check out his new book, Upstream. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. That's how most people hear about the show. And subscribe to us and rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The resources for this week. Many of you are completists when it comes to listening to podcasts. And I hear from people who say like, oh, I'm sorry. Now I've caught up with all the back ones. And now I have to wait every Wednesday to get a new episode. If you want more listening, you can listen to my audiobooks. You can get them wherever you get audiobooks. And I have audio versions of all my books. And Outer Order, Inner Calm is a good one if you want to listen to something as you are doing spring cleaning or organizing. And also I've heard from a lot of people that they're listening to Better Than Before, which is about habit change, while they're listening for their Walk 20 and 20. I don't know why Mm. people are doing that pairing, but it seems to be a thing. Also, we talked about the four tendencies a couple times. If you go to GretchenRubin.com slash resources and scroll down to the section about four tendencies, there's all kinds of free resources there about how to use the four tendencies in different aspects of life. And um, it's all free. You can just download and print it. So check it out. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. So, Elizabeth, have you tried spinning? Have you taken a seat at the spinning wheel? Oh, my gosh, Gretchen, you know what? It didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> I have not. But I have to tell you, in the middle of recording last week, our um, former assistant, Elise, uh-huh. showed up to drop off a huge garbage bag of alpaca fur to Sarah. Because Elise's parents have alpacas, and they were giving Sarah her fur to spin. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like... What in the world? Step into it's the a future. New day here Step into in the Los future. Yes. <laughs> or like, the past. Or the past. Artisanal yarn. Okay. <laughs> From the Onward Project.